When you think of Edinburgh, you more than likely think of Edinburgh Castle, Hogmanay, the Royal Mile, thousands of years of history, and ghosts. We have a lot of ghosts. I'd be willing to wager that when people picture the city, or hear of a tale related to it, they think about something that happened in the old town area of the city. Hardly surprising given how much has happened in this place over the centuries. It may come as a surprise, but some of the city's most horrific and credible hauntings happened in an area known as the New Town. In this story, we'll focus on one of Edinburgh's less well-known hauntings. The haunting of the Gordon family on the gorgeous Buckingham Terrace. Buckingham Terrace was designed by architect Alexander W. McNaughton, and the first stones were laid in the 1860s. Construction ran into problems straight away though. McNaughton had decided to do things his own way and deviated from the original planning, leading to threats of legal action and ultimately meaning the planned street design would never be fully recognised, as numbers 41 to 44 were never built. As was the case with a property like this, people came and went and many different families lived in the house. And several years after construction was completed on the street, the Gordon family took up residence in their rented but unnamed property. They occupied the majority of the building, however, there was an unoccupied property above them that had been vacant for some time and apart from one or two pieces of furniture left behind by a previous owner, it was completely empty. It didn't take long for the Gordons to regret moving into their lovely new home. Shortly after moving in, Mrs Gordon, asleep and alone in her room, was awoken in the middle of the night. Above her, in the attic property, the empty property, she could hear loud banging noises. Sitting up in her bed, she listened intently. It sounded just like a fight was happening. She swore she could hear furniture being thrown around and banging noises coming from the walls. Shocked, she listened for a while, until just as suddenly as they had started, the noises stopped. She pondered over what she should do. She contemplated going up to check and seeing if there was somebody up there. All had gone quiet though, so she tried to put it out of her mind and fell back asleep. The next night, however, brought the same thing. Terrible noises woke her up, and again she listened until they stopped. The next morning she decided enough was enough and she was going to raise a complaint to the building's owner. The landlord listened to Mrs Gordon's complaint but was adamant she was mistaken. After all, the property was empty, he had the keys, there was no one in the attic. His theory was that Mrs Gordon must have been mistaken. The noises were coming from either an adjoining building or from the streets and had been misconstrued as the noises from the empty property above. The only rational explanation, the landlord reasoned. However, this was not a satisfactory outcome for Mrs Gordon. She was adamant the noises were from the property above and unhappy at the landlord's dismissive attitude, she left his office and told him if they continued, she'd return. The noises continued, like clockwork, almost every night. Although an unpleasant annoyance, Mrs Gordon almost grew to accept the noises. It was part of her nightly routine now, but soon things took a more sinister turn. Mrs Gordon started to feel uncomfortable in the property, particularly when she was alone and particularly when she was in her bedchambers. It was here that she felt an overwhelming sense of dread, and this was to foreshadow what was to come, especially for her daughter, Diana. One night, Mrs Gordon woke with a start. 
terrified at some unknown and unseen presence in her room. A presence she could sense was standing by her bed, a presence she would describe as sinister and hostile. Although she could neither see nor hear anything to confirm this presence, she knew there was someone or something there. As she lay in bed, unable to move or scream, she felt the presence move past her and out of the room. She then heard the entity's footsteps climb the stairs, then silence. One thing she recalled about the noises coming from the presence as it climbed the stairs was the sounds that it made. It was bounding as if its feet had been tied together. A month or so passed with little to no activity. Mrs Gordon was away socialising in Argyle, leaving Diana in the property. Being of strong nerve, she was accustomed to being alone and comfortable fending for herself. Her nerves were to shortly be severely tested, however. As Diana was preparing to go into her mother's bedchambers one evening to ready herself for dinner, she was shocked and startled to suddenly see the door to her mother's bedchambers thrown open and a huge dark and burly figure sweep out the room, straight past her and up the stairs to the property above. Now remember, Diana had strong nerves, and after she regained her composure, she followed the figure up the stairs to the empty flat above. At the door to the attic property, she could hear the violent banging and crashing noises that her mother would hear at night. Stealing herself, she threw the door to the property open and stood facing the dark figure that only moments before barged past her. And it was here, unsurprisingly, that her nerves started to fail her. As she stood, transfixed, unmoving, for what seemed like an age, she noticed the shape was preoccupied with an old eight-day clock at the far end of the room. The impression she had was that it was winding up. What was this shape she was witnessing? She was sure it wasn't human, and she was sure it wasn't from this world. At this point, she noticed that the shape had stopped winding the clock and was turning to face her. Breaking the silence, somebody shouted from below, and at this, Diana made good her escape. Several weeks had passed since Diana's encounter, and everything seemed quiet, almost normal. Mrs Gordon had returned, and Diana had told her story to the rest of the house. Everything had been quiet until one evening, when Mrs Gordon was preparing to retire for the night in her bedchambers, when the door to her room suddenly swung open. Here, she was confronted with the blurry and dark outline of a man. A man with huge shoulders blocking her doorway. Although blurry, Mrs Gordon was able to make out some significant details of the figure. She described him as having a big, round and brutal head, topped with a tangled mass of yellow hair, and he was wearing the clothes of a sailor, a peacoat, blue serge trousers and jackboots. Something else she was able to discern about the shape was the feeling that it was fiendishly vindictive and immeasurably nasty. His final act was to swing round and bound up the stairs to the empty property above. This was to be his last appearance. The Gordons decided discretion was the better part of valour and packed and left the property. After word of the haunting got out, stories started to circulate. Theories were developed on who had been haunting the Gordons. 
The most likely person was an old sea captain who'd rented the property some years prior to the Gordons. He was described as being an odd man who insisted on wearing his naval attire, a pea coat, blue serge trousers and jackboots. He was also said to be short-tempered and quick to anger. When the captain lived there, the flat above housed a family with a young baby. A young baby who was prone to crying. And you can guess where this goes next. After warning the child's mother to quieten the screaming infant, he apparently snapped one night and bounded upstairs, bursting into the property then, killing the child, decapitating it and stuffing its head and body into the grandfather clock his spirit was seen standing next to. The captain was rightly jailed for his crimes, and while awaiting sentencing, he ended up taking his own life. When I was researching the story, I started to realise the proximity of this and other well-known hauntings. I've known of these stories since childhood. I've never actually thought about the geographical locations though, until I took a walk to Buckingham Terrace. I passed through Ann Street, which is the site of another famous apparition of a sailor, and I went back home via Lermouth Terrace, the location of the famous Seton haunting. I returned home, loaded up Google Maps and plotted out the various locations to see how closely grouped they were. I wonder why there are so many hauntings in such a small and relatively new area. Is this purely down to the events that have happened there or is there something else, something more ancient, causing it? 